Welcome to the Insecurity Project podcast. If you're a new listener, or this is one of the first episodes you've come across, I'd suggest go back and listen to episode 204, which is all about agency. If you haven't heard that episode, this is one of the things that I coach most frequently, and that is the first time something happened. The implications for what we make sense of in the moment of origins, the first time something profound happens in your life, either good or bad, it's so defining for what we decide is true about ourselves and about the world and then we create a map of reality we double down on what we think that means and what happens and then that sets the blueprint for the future encounters with that same thing because that's what our brain does right it it always looks to simplify our world by joining dots by creating patterns by creating sense making paradigms so that we don't have to be objective the next time. We can go, ah, it's just another one of those. I've had that kind of experience before and I know how that kind of experience works. So here's the best plan to respond to this based on what I know to be true from the last experience. However, you know, the problem with these first-time experiences is that often we encounter them in a really poor state, in a season of immaturity or pain. And so the sense making that happens is really strange and when you go back and review it you kind of find that's true but until you go and find that's true your map of the world and your experience of the world is governed by the initial experience episode 204 i'll I'll include a link in the show notes and uh, the email if you're subscribed to the insecurity project Uh, but today look state is king I'm in an extraordinary state today and have been for the last um, probably five days, which is lovely because I haven't been in a great state for about a month. And to feel energy and life and a bit of zing back is just so cool. Flow, gratitude, presence, my goodness. Uh, And none of it drug-induced, just all high on life. And, and you might have heard me say this before. You might have read this in Elegantly Simple Solutions for Complex People Problems. When I published that title, there was much mixed feedback around whether I'd gone too hard with that title and it was a bit too long. But you know what? It is the title and, and I like it. And it does what it says on the box. So if you've read that book, you'll know the term state is king. And, uh, and one of the key implications of the idea that state is king is that Every state has open and closed doors. What's possible in one state is entirely impossible in another. Uh, That's a really important thing because no doubt there will be times in your life where you will face things that are impossible. And, you know, you could go find some positive person or some lightweight meme which just tells, you know, you know, impossible will you break that down i'm possible or some weird version of no it's all in your head so just go and do it anyway Uh, but there are some things which are actually impossible and that's what i want to talk about today because uh, so much around the work that i do is addressing the things that are impossible in someone's life so it makes sense that i talk about it and i no doubt there are areas that this will relate to you there are pockets of your life that are impossible to to change and they've been impossible for a long time so what do you do about the stuff that's impossible well one one of the things you do is notice the implications of the state that you're in 
I remember being at school and I, I did enjoy school. I enjoyed year 11 and 12. I was quite a nerd. I uh, spent, you know, I, I think four or five hours a night, almost every single night from the start of year 11 all the way through year 12 studying and enjoying that process. I teamed up with the smartest girl in the school and uh, she was my study buddy and I'd go to her place once a week and it only got weird a few times. I can remember the first week being there and uh, turns out I didn't really know she had the hots for me but that's fair enough, you, you can't really blame her. But anyway, the first week we're all there, we've had our milk and cookies and we opened the books and then next thing we're into complex math problems while she's rubbing my leg under the table, which I wasn't prepared for. So I put the kibosh on that quick smart and got back to the books. And I mean, that only happened another three or four or six times, but it was worth it because she was very smart and that was useful to me. So all that to say, I I enjoyed school and then I enjoyed exams because I felt like I'd done the work. I felt like my memory was sharp. I enjoyed testing myself. And so when I got to exam time, I always felt like I was in a good state. Felt like I'd had a good preparation leading up, good sleep. I'd often go for a run the day before, uh, sorry, the morning before and just really be energized. And some of my friends who were way smarter in in every measurable way would get into a horrible state. They'd panic. They wouldn't sleep the night before. You could they looked dishevelled in the morning. You could, you could tell there was a, a look in their eyes of sheer panic. And so our experience of how we performed in exams was very different. I'd perform. I'd consistently outperform some of my friends that were definitely smarter than me just because they'd get in the exam room and their creativity is shut down, their imagination is shut down, their memory is shut down. The door to, the, to those resources are firmly closed. They can't access it even if they tried. Uh, and then they'd get out of the exam room, the state would change, they'd relax, they'd breathe, and all of a sudden the door opens again and they're kicking themselves because how did I forget that? How, why couldn't I remember that? Why didn't I think of that? So, you know, you watch this in sport all the time. Uh, cricket's a great example. If you're not a cricket fan, well... You need to be, let me tell you, because cricket's a great game. Part of my rituals for sleep, I have a beautiful cricket ball. One of my great friends, Nikhil, bought me two, uh, that's right, two brand new leather kookaburra match match balls because uh, he just knew of my love for cricket. And uh, one of those balls is wrapped for safekeeping. The other sits proudly on my bedside table and I sniff it before going to sleep for my lunchtime naps and it instantly changes my state. I'm often in my head, I'm thinking about all kinds of things and that's not a state conducive to sleep. The door is shut on sleep but as soon as I sniff the cricket ball, state change. I'm thinking about Glenn McGrath bowling line and length, just floating back to being 12 and enjoying my first season of cricket just the smells smell is the most powerful anchor to state by the way uh, our brain links state and smell and memory more closely than anything else so smell triggers that profoundly uh, so look where am i going with this other than to say state is king right and 
and you'll, you'll know this yourself. You'll watch sports stars who are very talented, but then they're in a poor state and they can't access their skills. Cricket's a great example of this. You'll see a very talented batsman get in a run of poor form where they're just in their head and they're really conscious about their body and it's weird and clunky and they get out cheaply. And then you find another batsman who's in a purple patch. They're just in a state of flow and they're relaxed, they're present, and it's like they can do no wrong. So... Um, so my state is, is great and because my state is great the doors are open to everything that I love and that's an amazing thing and so uh, let me tell you how I did that between this episode and the last where my state wasn't particularly good and, and it started with uh, you know, listening to a particularly enjoyable podcast episode about dreamers uh, from the Insecurity Project that just that was amazing, actually. I, hearing myself talk about all all the course correction ideas about what to do if you're a dreamer and you feel separated from your dreams, as I'm listening to myself talking that through and reminding myself about all the beautiful wisdom that has changed my life over the years in that subject, it was washing over me, getting inside me, and I got off recording that episode in a different state. I took my own medicine. Uh, and specifically the things that I think made the biggest difference to me from last week's episode was coming to terms with the fact, as Mark Manson says, that this expectation that everything has to be awesome all the time, everything is extraordinary, the flood of information we're presented with is, is always at the end of the spectrum. It's either incredibly good or incredibly bad. And so we're presented with the unconscious idea that to be in the middle would be terrible. However, 99% of the life is in the middle. It is mundane. It is ordinary. It is average. It is banal. So if you can't work at how to find joy in the average, in the everyday, your life is going to be full of suffering. And I find myself stuck in that trap, like I'm sure you do at times, but that was a chance to step out of that trap and just go, holy smokes, there is so much beauty in the everyday. And that was... That was life to me in the last week. I loved the idea from Jim Carrey that you can fail at what you don't want, so may as well have a try at what you do. That that makes a lot of sense to me. It just takes all the pressure off, and and just an all all enabled me just to knuckle down and just do my work. Stop worrying about how it's working, because like I do feel like I know the end of the game. I, I feel like. Stephen Covey's idea that one of the habits of successful people is they begin with the end in mind. It's just been a central way that I've organised my mind for for probably 15 years, I think, when I first came across that book. So um, if you think about the mechanics of state, every every state that you're in is the combination of three things, focus, language, and physiology. So if you make any alterations to one, two, three of those things, then it, it actually changes your state it cannot not and so part of what altered my state in this week was I changed those three so um, I noticed that I was focused on all the things that weren't working for me that weren't the direct uh, manifestation of my dreams which you can do you can do I'm sure I can do we can all do when you do that it doesn't feel great however it's not the only thing that I could pay attention to so in my journaling uh, I, I went straight to the end of the game instead. I started paying attention to how does this story end? Where am I taking this thing? What is the biggest picture? What am I working towards? 
it reminded me of a, a quote from Anthony Robbins that um, he says consistently people overestimate what they can achieve in 12 months and underestimate what they can achieve in 10 years. And so when I step back and look at what's happened in the last 10 years, I'm, I'm blown away. I, you know, most of the things that I've achieved were outside the scope of what I thought is possible. So I, I know that trajectory continues and I know what I'm heading towards and I know what I'm devoting my life to and I see the fulfillment of that when I close my eyes. And so when I pay attention to that, that's a lovely experience because it feels real, it feels just as real as anything else in my life. So I spent some moment reminding myself, spent some moment, did I? <laughs> it didn't even make sense. I spent some time and a few moments paying attention to how the story ends and that was a lovely experience. Uh, then I altered my language, so language, physiology, focus. I, I have probably for the last two years, maybe not quite that long, in fact, more like 12 months, I've started describing myself as a writer, speaker, coach, and, and that order is important. Um, and I was reviewing that and seeing if that still fit, and I liked that. And I just played with it a little, and I added one word in front of that phrase, just added the word professional I am a professional writer speaker and coach and I like the feel of that and it is true to be a professional means this is not just my pastime this is what I get paid to do I get paid to write I get paid paid to speak and I get paid to coach so I am a professional and that energized me it went damn straight and and immediately it reminded me of something I had been procrastinating about and being unsure about in terms of my profile on, on the speakers bureau that I'm a part of. And so I immediately from there went to the profile and updated my fees. I tripled my fees. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if you've been uh, uh, looking to book me as a speaker in the last week and you didn't pull the trigger on that booking uh, before a few days ago because Cheryl and accounts won't be happy when she goes back and has a look and sees the prices now uh, what it is but it just felt right there's a there's a phrase in the book from uh, William Whitecloud the magician's way one of the the seven rules of magic is there's nothing to do but action to take which if you haven't read the book probably makes no sense but is just one of the most profound insights when it when it makes sense for you because all it describes is look there is actually nothing to do you don't you can't earn your way you can't fight your way you can't force your way you don't achieve by doing but there's stuff to do of course but it's it's the obvious action that to take that flows out of the upgraded beliefs and so when i look at myself and go well I am a professional writer and a speaker and a coach. And then I looked at my fee structure. I'm like, that's not what a professional speaker charges. So if I am a professional speaker, well, then take the obvious action and correlate my fees accordingly. And that's what I did. And that felt lovely. Uh, then physiology. Now, you'll be pleased to know if you heard the episode from last week around testosterone that you know, when I watched my beloved Sydney Swans get absolutely annihilated in the grand final by the Geelong Cats in the AFL grand final, you know, the impact of my testosterone was alarming, uh, just plummeted. And I'm sure it did for many other 
every other Swans fan, no one enjoyed that experience. So my testosterone levels were just really teetering on alarmingly low levels until the Panthers, the Penrith Panthers, uh, they, they won the grand final this week. Testosterone, back through the roof. Amazing, amazing, amazing experience watching a team that you love demolish an opposition. Ah, oh, gee, it was just clinical. So that was good. Um, but I paid attention to running and riding and swimming and grounding myself and stretching and just enjoying dressing well and, uh, you know, paying attention to naps and enjoying the impact I could have on my state by altering my body. It was a, a lovely experience and to be back in the game was a joy. And so the moment I'm back in the game, all of a sudden, what's possible, it changes absolutely dramatically. Then there's energy and optimism and hope for all the things that I desire, whereas a week before I'm in a flat state, it's like, ah, oh, I'm never going to see this happen. It's all too hard. And what's the point? And it's impossible. Not, not true in a great state. It, you just feel energized and feel great. Well, then let's go make, make magic happen. There were two other things that made a big difference to my state that are worth mentioning. I, I had an intuition around reaching out to a friend that I hadn't spoken to for a while and I rationalised a few times why, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe they're fine, I should just uh, leave them be and, um, you know, maybe we're drifting apart or whatever. Maybe they, they're they not up for a, a message from me. I don't know. that. I'm sure you can relate to strange experiences like that where you get in your head and you overthink things. But the intuition was strong. I just thought, no, I'd love to send a message, a thought-through message, a, um, a considered message. And so I did that. And and the response was, was beautiful and uh, a really alive and energetic response and a kind of a rekindling of a connection. And that just felt great because it was the what happened when I acted on listening to myself and I've I've never regretted listening to intuition I'm sure you haven't either but sometimes I don't and sometimes I, I miss those opportunities so I acted and I got the reward and then the final thing was I, I bumped into uh, our federal member down the street and uh, wished him a happy birthday and uh, his response was he drew attention to the article I'd just written around being a, a good human being that he'd seen on LinkedIn and he said how wonderful it was and how considered that I was in writing that and uh, he, he said I, you know I mentioned how difficult writing is and he said well look if you haven't written then you haven't thought the, the discipline of writing your eyes down ideas down is how you actually think about something effectively and so uh, yeah he was full of encouragement about my writing and, and the quality of it and he didn't need to say that and it was a nice experience and you know, and it is my job to validate my own writing. I understand that. But it certainly feels good when someone else gives you that feedback as well. It's the cream on the top. It's a lovely experience to have someone uh, be impacted by something that I've written. So uh, they're all the things that were a, a beautiful experience for me and made me reflect on the whole what's, what's possible now is very different than what was possible a week ago. I, I had a, a client... Uh, come stay with me and, and do a, a two-day retreat recently all with the intention of fast-tracking the whole transformational process that is my, my bread and butter. 
you know, what I, what the offer that I put out to people is in insecurity is a solvable problem. It's a predictable problem and you can actually eradicate it. So it is possible to show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear and insecurity. Limiting beliefs can be removed and you can show up here present and unguarded. That is, that is possible. In fact, I think that's your most important adult work. So it's a big claim because most people have not not heard anyone claim that so dramatically. Most people imagine the best you can do is manage your insecurity and dance around your trauma and find ways of being positive in spite of the suffering. And, and so this man had you know, read a couple of my books, I think listened to them, and and felt compelled to reach out to go, okay, Jamin, I'm, I'm one of the process. So spent two days together and it was a really lovely experience and a, a difficult one as they always are because you know dealing with long-held beliefs and fears that have gained traction and found evidence that's never never an easy thing and in fact i i would say it is an impossible thing and that's strange because that's what i'm offering that you can do something impossible seems like it doesn't even make sense but I, I think that's exactly what I am saying and so there are a few times where he came face to face with some, some real trauma around uh, limiting beliefs that were long held and the process of what do you do then and how do you regroup and how do you look at these more clearly is how anyone gets through because if you think about the structure of the hero's journey it is the story of the hero doing something impossible. That's the only way of thinking about it. And that's the only reason why anyone watches, reads, listens to the hero's journey. Because the hero was faced with insurmountable odds that, the, that, that are more than just practically impossible, are impossible in every way, shape or form. They're doing something no one's done before. No one thinks that they can do. They don't even think they do. However, because they've said yes to the call to, call to adventure and because they've begun a journey, they reach a point in the journey where they actually must proceed and they must actually go and do the thing that they don't think that they can do. The road behind them has now been blocked. And so every journey, sorry, every hero reaches a point in the journey where the only two options for them are I, I will die or I will come out the other side reborn. I, to retreat, it's too late. The way back now is blocked or it's, or it's further than the way forward. And so I'm compelled to move forward. And that's, you know, everyone kind of leans in then and goes, well, what's going to happen? This looks like it's going to end very badly. I can't imagine how, you know, Frodo, for instance, Frodo's a, he, he's a, hobbit from the shire what could he possibly do? how could he possibly save the world gandalf yeah gandalf's a wizard we thought he could do it but he's gone now we're back to frodo now, this doesn't look good but i want to watch because i i'm interested to see how this all ends even if it ends badly that'll still be good viewing however you know the hero finds a way through confronts the darkness, the fear, the terror, the trauma does the thing that they've never been able to do before and, and actually doesn't die and does come out the other side reborn with the prize and the whole world wins. And when we see that, we laugh and we cry and we, we are moved by that whole experience. And the reason we're moved in it is because 
That is the call for each of our life. That is what is on offer. There are calls to adventure day and night in front of us, and most of the time we're not ready. It's, it's inconvenient. There's a bunch of reasons why. No, we can't say yes. But every now and then, again, every now and then, someone says yes and begins one of these journeys. Now, if it wasn't possible to actually die or to actually get scared and run away, then it wouldn't be possible to come out the other side either. If it was a foregone conclusion that every hero in every journey would automatically win, why is anyone watching those movies? Why is anyone intrigued by that? There's no tension anymore. And so so, so this lovely client of mine uh, had a number of experiences of really identifying the key moment in life that really started a narrative that that changed his experience of him being in his own life and it was clear that that was a point to bring healing and reconciliation and he got close a number of times and got scared a number of times and we worked through it and still felt unresolved and then I got a call a month later saying you know Jamie I didn't end well and I went away really rocked by that and have been deeply affected by that in a bad way ever since and so much so that I've had to get therapy. I've had to go back and see my old therapist um, to manage the fallout of the time with you. So that's not a fun conversation to have, you know, that I have created um, turmoil and chaos for someone who's trusted me with their life, trusted me with the most important part of their life. And so it was an interesting conversation and, and he explained that he'd asked the therapist about what, what I'd done wrong, what was wrong in my methodology and the instruction was um, I clearly had overplayed the role of choice in the moment of inception where the pain started. I had, I had said that there was a clear choice a young child had made and the therapist had said no, there was no choice, that child was impacted at a cellular level outside of anything he could control and so therefore was hurt was wounded was impacted and so that being true there is something now damaged about that child that has to be managed have to be careful you have to be sensitive around that i was unwilling to go down that line i my approach was to say uh, whether the choice was you know conscious or not there was there was a choice and that is the point of hope when you see the actual choice then that means you were implicit in your own demise and uh, did the best you knew at the time but that means you could actually go back and review that choice and make an alternate choice so it was a it was a really important conversation over the phone when he told me around the fact that he'd been triggered and wasn't in a good state because you know I knew that if I, I had to be careful around the apology that I gave. So if I apologize unequivocally, then what am I saying? Like, I knew that to give a wholehearted and, and thorough apology for his experience would be to pack up and never coach ever again. Because if it's true that I was inappropriate in his moment of pain and and his trauma, then I am unqualified to handle anyone's trauma. And there are things that sit outside of our ability to heal ourselves. 
And if that is true in that instance, then it must be true in all kinds of instances. And that is the very end of my usefulness as a coach. So there was a lot at stake in this conversation. Uh, however, I, I didn't enjoy the fact that he was experiencing suffering. And so I apologized for the fact that he was in a really difficult space, but did not apologize for my process. Because all that, all that has happened in my mind is he's, he's faced his impossibility. And it's remained impossible. And that has to be one of the options. Most people will live with impossibilities. They will live with things unreconciled. They will live with moments in time that change them for the worse. And that will be how the story ends. But it is not how the story has to end. Every day, humans do things that were impossible yesterday. Tell me I'm lying. When, when I... You know, when someone really gets bogged here and they say, Jamin, like this feels impossible and I don't know if I can and I can't, I, I say it is impossible. But that doesn't matter. Would you like to? Even if no one else in the history of the world has gone back in time and reviewed and reconciled the inception of their insecurity, if you would like to, you could be the first. That's, that's the wonder of being a human being. Someone is the first person to do all manner of wonderful things and we then stand on their shoulders and benefit from their pioneering work. But now, clearly, you don't have to be the first in going back and healing yourself around insecurity. People do that all day, every day, and I have the great joy of watching people do that. But let's not say that it's possible or easy or inevitable. <laughs> it requires a great amount of will, a great amount of desire, and it requires you to come to the end of your resistance. That is the hero's journey, to come to a place where you go, I, I can't, it is impossible, and yet I must. I'm not prepared to live with the experience of this unreconciled fear in my life. It is too costly. And in that is the moment, that is the threshold moment, where the hero steps forward and accesses what was previously impossible. Another client of mine at the moment is stuck in the incredibly difficult passage of understanding secondary gain and faced with another high-level impossibility. I'm, I'm convinced that there is no more confronting conversation to have than that of secondary gain. If you're unfamiliar with that idea, it's just simply uh, the psychology that was popularized by Dr. Phil, which is his brilliant question when someone would complain about how bad their life was on his show, we'd just say, well, how's that working for you? And they'd inevitably say, no, no, it's not working for me. Were you not listening and explain again how terrible their situation is? And he would say, clearly it is working for you. It must. You are not that stupid. You are far smarter than that. You are not capable of behaving in a way that does not reward you. Once, maybe, perhaps, it has to be possible, right, that you do something and there is no reward, but you can't do it twice. And with 100% certainty, you cannot do that on a daily basis over a period of months, years, decades even, which many people do. The rewards have to be staggeringly good. And it is an it is a horrific thing to come to terms with. To go, well, hang on a minute. What are you saying? I'm, 
I'm actually holding on to this. You're saying I'm implicit in this. I thought I'm impacted by a bunch of horrible things that are happening to me and I'm just uh, experiencing the suffering as a result of that. You're telling me I've created this and I'm benefiting from this? Like, and, and this is the fun of being a coach because I position myself as someone who doesn't care. I'm not there to win friendship or approval. I'm there to get them more of what they want, but they've got to want it. I had, a, I had a client recently who the first time she called, she was a little older than my typical clients. And I'm very clear about the fact that there's a window of opportunity to deal with your dysfunction. And that window doesn't exist forever, which is a, an offensive thing to say, but nevertheless, it is true. So she was on the downside of the bell curve and in the area where it's unlikely that you're going to make change because you've lived in this dysfunction for so long and so the first time she called me explained a situation and she said oh, i done like this i can't keep living this way i said oh, i'm yeah well that's good and well but i i can't help I, i'm not really positioned to help people like you um so no I, there's nothing i can do and she and i said i oh, maybe i can hand you on to somebody else and uh, she was offended by that, but, but understood. And then uh, she called me again six weeks later and said, Jamin, I know you said you don't help people like me, uh, but you have to. Ah, okay. I'm listening. Tell me more. She said, I, I'm actually done. I'm, I'm really done. I can't live like this. I'm suffering. And, and the stuff that you've written makes me feel like I don't have to live like this. There is a way out. So I said, well, this is going to be harder than you think, more costly than you imagined. But if you're ready, of, of course I can help. That's what I was born to do. And so she comes into the process and she's told me that she's ready for change. And so what I get away with in those conversations would blow your mind. And she starts telling me a story that I've already heard and I stop her immediately and say, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you justifying your position around why you can't change? You said you must change. So what would be the point of telling me a story I've already, I've already heard that just justifies your victimhood? Don't do that again. Don't waste my time with that. That's not going to get you what you want. And the secondary gain idea to, to push back and say, and by the way, you keep telling me how done you've been and how, how painful this is, but this has worked for you so well. And until you are willing to see how it has worked, good luck ever letting go of it. Good luck ever exchanging an upgraded solution. So confronting, but I've got all the leverage because someone is desperate for change. And so previously it has been absolutely impossible to change because they've never conceptualized all the mechanics it feels like an immovable cause of suffering that is happening to them that they have no control over because they have no part in and so to accept secondary gain changes the game completely because it says huh you're involved in this so it's the most fun i have as a coach i, I promise i just i just enjoy that and not because i I'm a sadist and love hurting people, but I just love what becomes possible on the other side of accepting your role in dysfunction. What becomes possible then is breathtaking and, and the joy of what I watch people do off the other side of, of accepting their role in the mess. Uh, yeah, just magic. So 
I don't know what impossibilities you're facing right now, but don't let that stop you just because it's impossible. Yeah, so what? Of, of course it's impossible. That's how it will always feel. And, and it is actually impossible. That's not just being dramatic. But that's okay. You, you can do that. The, the Leverage book, if you've not read that or you've been put off by that title, it is a book about impossibilities. Leverage, how to change the people you love for all the right reasons and get the relationships you deserve. Yeah, right. That doesn't happen. Like, I've tried changing my partner. I've tried changing my kids. I've tried changing my friends. I've tried changing my boss. I've tried changing my employees. I've tried improving. And people don't like being changed. People are going to do what they're going to do. And so you just have to accept a level of dysfunction and bad behavior and being treated poorly. That's just how it is. It's, it is impossible to actually have loving relationships and be happy and be treated the way you deserve. That is not the real world. Yeah, I get it. It is impossible until it's not. That, that is why I wrote that book to go, well, yeah, but if you'd like to change the people you can, and, and this is your only chance. And if you're willing and the, the desire is important uh, and, you're, and you're unprepared to carry on another moment, living in the suffering well great there is something you can do about it so if you haven't got a copy of that book yet or you've been haven't had a reason to read it or you've not known what that book is about that's why i wrote it and uh, i reckon you might find that useful if you found this podcast useful so i'll include a link to the the paperback and the audio version as well but let's leave it there for today and talk to you again soon